When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Radio Erin, the Irish radio and television service, presents a new approach to the bisextile problem, divergencies expressed in documentary form by the quadrilateral ABCD. Written by Norris Davidson, produced by Frank O'Dwyer. Nineteen sixty four was a leap year. The grand muddle in time continues. Nineteen sixty four was a leap year. A year is the time it takes the Earth to make one revolution in relation to a fixed point. For security reasons, the fixed point will not be named. Oh, very proper, very proper indeed. Carelessness with classified information like that. I mean, letting things slip out. Well, one can't be too careful. The year is 365 days long. What was that? The year. He says it's 365 days long. Splendid. The year is 365 days long. Only it isn't. Instead of taking 365 days to go around the sun, the Earth takes 365 and one quarter days. Therefore, once in every four years, a day is added to the year to correct the error, which it doesn't do, and during the other years, we slip away from accuracy at the rate of a quarter day or six hours per annum. Per annum, example of the use of the accusative. Charming! I have now told you, simply and intelligently, I hope, Everything about the leap year of 366 days that the ordinary person needs to know. Oh, the ordinary person. I'm sick of the ordinary person and doing things in the simple and intelligent way. And what do you want to do, Craig? To dig. What? Let's yeah. dig deep back into time, get into a thorough muddle and end up in the procession of the equinoxes. Are you so sure they'd have us? Who? The equinoxes. Of course they would. Delightful people. She especially. Their precessions are simply... Pre-R-E sessions in this case. A slow movement from east to west of the equinoctial points where the equator intersects the ecliptic. Exactly. Listen. That was the equator intersecting the ecliptic. As far back as early Egypt, and probably still earlier China, people were aware that something was wrong with the year. Egypt was a thing that had been going on for a long time. Even when it was very young, it seems to have been very old, and when its philosophers turned from numbering the stars to calendar reform, they had thousands and thousands of years to play with. While they played, the seasons kept on not turning up at the proper calendar time, 
and people began to think that something odd was going on. That's odd. You've noticed it too. I thought it was odd. I say, isn't it all rather odd? Do you know what I've been thinking? It's all odd. Well, it is odd. Yes, sir, you've noticed that. It is odd. And that, in Egyptian fact, was it. The weather was odd for the time of year it was supposed to be. The yearly loss of six hours had been disregarded so long that the seasons had slipped and the time of ploughing according to the calendar was obviously the time of reaping according to the plain farmer of Egypt. Even if he couldn't read as much as one hieroglyph on a papyrus, he knew that when he harvested it was autumn for him. Even if it was the official government spring for Ramphis the high priest, spring for Amneris down on the delta trying on veils, and spring for stupid Radames on spring manoeuvres against the Ethiopians. Oh, and uh, Radames. Yes, Amneris, love. Don't forget, return a vincitor. Vincitor it'll be, honey. In the universities, they hadn't been completely idle. They were experimenting with a 366-day year with five supplementary days for fun and other adjustments, but this got things into an even worse mess. The plain farmer of Egypt was right. When it was summer for him, it was summer. And things aren't much better today. Meteorologically speaking, August may appear to us to be March, and we aren't supposed to be suffering from a slipped calendar. All over the calculating world, men realised that something was very wrong and wanted to set this right, but how? Chaos was complete in Rome, with the days calculated backwards, if you please, from three periods in each month called the Calends, the Nones and the Ides that were so dangerous in March, you'll remember. In Greece it was worse, they hadn't any Calends at all. Not a single Calend, not the teeniest little bits of Calendina Dinissima. The Greeks had no word for it. Rome had been struggling along with a year of 305 days until the dissatisfaction set in seriously. Why they were so dissatisfied, I don't know. With a short year like that, birthdays would have come round more frequently and so they'd have got more presents. They'd have been older in calendar years, of course, but physically they'd be the same age. As what? As they were. Who? The Romans. But I thought we were talking about the Egyptians. We were. Then why do you say the Romans? I mean, we were talking about the Egyptians. Now we're talking about the Romans. Oh, all right, I was only asking. I suppose one can ask. Don't think I haven't the greatest admiration for the Romans. Splendid fellows, always in the thick of everything. Roman candles, Roman hyacinths, Roman holidays, Roman the gloaman. Quite, yes. Very early in the history of Rome, it happened that its second king, Numa Pompilius had a friend who was a water sprite called Egeria, and she used to... I don't believe a water sprite was ever named Egeria. Well, this one was. It says so. But why? Oh, I know that. Because she gave good advice. A person who gives you good advice is your Egeria. There's a thing about predicting the weather from the look of the moon. It says it is in these moments that nature becomes our Egeria. 
Well, how could she? Nature wasn't a water sprite. I never said she was. I said that if the moon's appearance gave good advice about the weather... You didn't say it. It's a quotation. Gave good advice about the weather, then nature, in the shape of the moon, became your Egeria. So she'd be a water sprite in the shape of the moon. Why'd you let her keep on interrupting? Well, I do think... If I gave you good advice, would I turn into a water sprite? Very likely. And be called Egeria? No. But he'd have to be. If he gave you good advice, he'd be your Egeria. And I don't say what it has to do with the leap year. Numa Pompilius had a friend named Egeria who was a water sprite who used to give him good advice in a grove near the city. Oh, was that what he got? Why didn't she go to the Emperor's villa if she lived so near the city? I suppose because she was a water sprite. Then she could have gone up the water pipes to the villa, even in those days they had them, instead of Numa Pompilius having to go to her... No wonder the Roman Empire had a decline and fall. That was caused by malaria from the Pontine Marshes. Oh, horrible people, the Pontine Marshes. Never washed. I was at school with Sylvia Pontine Marsh. She was riddled with malaria. A marsh would be an excellent habitat for a water sprite. Anyhow, what advice did she give him? She advised him to set up a college of pontiffs to supervise the natural and supernatural aspects of his rule. No tabane, no tabane, no tabane. Tenders are invited for the construction of a college of pontiffs in best quality Parian and Carrara marbles to comprise studies, a conference hall, cafeteria, and torture chamber. Specifications on application to the Office of Public Works, 13 Via Appia, Rome, N.W., Canvassing in any forum, in the forum will disqualify. Nota bene, nota bene, nota bene. The college was built, it was staffed. But though it tracked a few comets, it wasn't used properly until a later Numa called it in to see about stabilising the year. And oh, what an examination of the flight of birds, and what a prying into the entrails of the sacrifice before the college advised that a month should be added to the beginning of the year and a month to the end. The starting month was to be called January, and the finishing month was to be called, you'll never guess... No, I don't like riddles. Neither do I. It was called February. Oh, now, why do you say that? Just to be tiresome. Well, it happens to be correct. The year began January, March, April, and ended November, December, February. But Numa thought it would show weakness if he followed the recommendations, so he sent for the chief pontiff, told him to end the year at December and start again with January, February, March. The pontiff objected. The pontiff was given instant dismissal. Oh, did they have it even in those days? Have what? That kind of dismissal, you know, like instant mashed potatoes and instant coffee. Instant dismissal. The plan was to give the Romans a year of 354 days. But according to what the stars foretell, 354 was a bad number, so they made it 355. Things were still wrong. They tried splitting February now and then. And inserting a special month of varying length. No good. Things got worse. The world went round the sun in its own good time, only people thought it was the other way round. And since nobody really knew what its own good time was, there was an error of at least three months that increased and increased until Julius Caesar came to power. And then, one day, they decided to report the whole thing to him. 
Well, uh, nothing much is happening just at this moment. It's a lovely afternoon here, but General Caius Julius is definitely there. Definitely there. Wouldn't you say General Caius Julius is definitely there? Yes, he says definitely. And now, now Minister seems to be about to step up to the General. It's almost certainly about this leap you report. He's stepping up now. Ave Kaiser! <laughs> the Minister has used Caesar in the vocative sense, but he's hoping to the gods that everyone will realize it is the vocative and not the nominative, they being the same. And now... Now the general seems to be about to ask the minister if he would do something. I think, I think the general's going to get into the plus perfect. The family runabout, through the courtesy of the manufacturers of which this program comes to you. Though chief of the state, popular general Caius Julius always manages to make us feel he's just one of us. This plus perfect convertible's a special favorite of his. And you too can own a... No, the general's going to listen to the minister... Ave Kaiser! Uh, uh, would uh, Caesar have a moment to spare for a moment, that is? Uh, what's that, old boy? Ave Kaiser! Would Caesar have a moment oh, to... come upon my other side. This here, you know, is deaf. Yes. Act 1, scene 2, line 214. The general never misses a quote from Guillermo Shakespeare's dramatization of his life. Deaf in one ear, but he won't use an aid. Oh, the minister's going round to Caesar's other side... Stepping off now, left-footed, a hush falls over the whole Colosseum. But I'm afraid that here I'll have to hand you back to the studio. I've just been told that the whole conversation is going to be sub rosa. Example of the use of the ablative. And a very charming one, too. Well, the minister opened in official oratio obliqua, and then, engaging the vernacular went on to tell Caesar that in spite of all the fiddling about with calendar reform in the College of Pontiffs, the time was hopelessly out of joint and getting worse every day. Then he passed the whole mess over to Julius Caesar, who remembered a mathematician he'd brought back from Egypt, a man called Sosigenes. Balding, bearded, bent, bespectacled, 92-pound Sosigenes, 52, leader of the class of 91 B.C., Stroke the winning trireme and the head of the Nile race of 90, 89, and 88 B.C. Mathematical alumnus of the University of Cairo. Caesar marked the leap year file, astronomer of Sosigenes to see, and passed it to him. He's going to pass it. He's going to pass it out to the wing. He's passing it now. Sosigenes has it. Sosigenes has it. He's racing away to his observatory. He's nearly there. He's nearly there. Oh. The lectors have awarded a breach of protocol against the Sigenes. It wasn't long before the name of Sigenes was heard all over the forum, ringing out in a genuine ancient Roman ballad. Uh, uh, <coughs> oh, I'll have it in a minute. Uh, right, right. Oh, come on, ye tender Romans. I hope you will draw near. And listen to these few short lines I mean to let us hear. Concerning Sausagenius, who... Uh, you'll have to excuse me, you see. Oh, I can't say that man's name proper and make it fit the tune. Of course. <laughs> oh, we quite understand. Oh, anyhow, who yeah. knows how to pronounce these Egyptian names? I mean... Concerning <laughs> Sausagenius, who from Egypt far did stray. May the gods above look down with love. 
and have mercy on me soul. It was in the year of 46 BC, as you must know, when Julius Caesar said, me lads, the thing's a holy show. I'm paying old professors for to make the time run through, but for all they've done about it, still the days is far too few. Now this man beside me here is not a true Italian. He does not speak our native tongue, his skin it is like tan. But for adding and subtracting and for multiplying too, it would be hard to find a bait of what your man can do. Says Sausagenius, we will have a special extra day to make up for the quarter days that we have thrown away. To learn the new time all will come from near and all so far. And I'll name it for me patron bold, the Julian calendar. Uh, the pontiffs then did loudly rage and started for to sneer. Each third year's good enough, they said, we'll call that the leap year. You've made a hames of everything, cried Sausagenius. So back I'll fare to Egypt rare, you're all ridiculous. Well, Caesar was dumbfounded in witnessing the same. And turning to the pontiff said, you have yourselves to blame. We'll never get the year right now, the man who could has gone. The cursed Juno on you all. Vote each and every one. And so on and so on to the 85th and last verse, which goes... So come on, ye tender Romans, I hope I've made you hear How in this noble city they banjacks their leap year Because they wouldn't listen to old Sausagenius A noble man from Egypt's clan who caused them all to fuss. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you very much indeed. It was very nice. I, I never heard it oh, before. Oh, I'll give you another. It's called The Discovery of the Simultaneous Equation. Well, it's, it's very kind of you, but not just now, if you don't mind. Oh, we wouldn't have time for it. All right, so I'll, I'll be bidding you goodbye, so... Oh, goodbye. 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 Well, that's one way of saying it in music, and it's what happened. Caesar called in... Hey, did you, did you hear what I was saying? Sausage genius, ha! Huh? I think that was very good. Sure he was a genius, ha! <laughs> I know you're having a right laugh at that. <laughs> hey, yes, well, uh, <laughs> will I be out there listening in? Yes. <laughs> will I hear me, Sam? Yes, if you hurry home. Oh, he was never on there listening in yet. Only in applause. Any time I know there'll be applause, I do go to the concert and I do... <laughs> did you never hear me? No, I don't think so. Oh, sure, I'm in all the applause. Any time you hear... <laughs> That's me. Did you never hear me? I never did. I go on, say you did. So there's always someone does. Oh, that? Of course I've heard you. I, I often wondered who it was. Everywhere there's any applause. Well, so long, Al. Oh, goodbye. 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 I don't goodbye. like goodbye. that such a genius. Sure he was a genius. Well, it's more or less what happened. Sausagenes' scheme went to the College of Pontiffs and the College rejected it in toto. Example of the use of the ablative. But not such a nice one. 
They decided on a leap year every three years. No one would listen to Sosigenes. The Roman efforts to deal with the leap year ended in confusion. Imperial Caesar died and turned to clay. The world went on spinning about itself, toppling at the poles and proceeding through the points of equinox and solstice. And as it went on, it increased in error, spiritual and temporal. Both of these faults were found on the agenda of the Council of Nicaea in 1582. The world, the Christian calendar-using world, that is, was about ten days behind the times. And Pope Gregory XIII dealt very smartly with those ten days. He cut them off. Then, by means of a bull, he promulgated the Gregorian or New Style calendar. Russia said, yet. Russia remained old style until 1922, and it was a Bolshevik government that accepted Pope Gregory's regulation of nearly 400 years before. Things settled down to a corrective leap year every four years. But it must have seemed a bit dull after the glorious centuries of confusion commemorated in the months of our calendar called after seasons, gods and emperors and ending with a septem, octo, novem, decem that even in the days of Caius Julius weren't accurate. Things settled down. Except in England. England would have nothing to do with the new style. <laughs> But in the end, England had to give in to the new style, even if a pope had promulgated it, because appointments for wars became impossible, with England 11 days at variance with the rest of Europe. For this reason, it had to be forced on England. I mean, imagine the situation. The head general in England sends off a message by courier to some ruler or other. Meet me, 2.30 for 3... 1st of May, 1724, Austrian border, and we'll have a battle. Bring lots of cannons. And what happens? The European ruler's army gets into position on the Austrian border, or whatever it is, on the 1st of May, new style. They have lunch and get ready, but no English. And they wait until the English arrive on the 1st of May, English style, which is actually the 11th of May, new style. All the rations are eaten up while they're waiting for the English, all the powder goes mouldy, and the English just fall on them and slaughter them. That's how the English won all their battles, simply by not knowing what day it was. But even though people seem to have accepted the idea of the leap year, they reckoned without the shadow of the centurial year. You can't reckon with a shadow, so you certainly can't reckon without a shadow. Oh, I think one might. And I'm quite sure one couldn't. To do anything with a shadow is impossible, so to reckon with one is equally... It depends entirely on the shadow. I could tell you some things, believe me. I once knew a shadow who turned out to be no less than the... I was talking about the centurial year. A shadow has no identity and only two dimensions. Well, what about centurial year? Well, if you'd come somewhere quiet, I I could explain about the leap year and the centurial year. I don't know that I want to go somewhere quiet. Hey, 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 what's this? Why can't you explain whatever it is here? Well, it's rather off the beaten track. I was afraid of that. In a grove, I suppose. I'm not a jerrier, you know. Explain whatever it is here. Quite right. It's unhealthy not to bring these things out into the open. What's the leap year's association with a centurial year? Something unpleasant, I'm quite sure. A centurial year is a year like 1600, 1700 or 1800. Everyone knows that. 1896 was a leap year, 
And the next leap year was... 1900. We don't need to be mathematicians to work that one out. But it wasn't. It was a centurial year, all right. But a leap year is any year exactly divisible by four. Unless it's also divisible by 100, but not by 400. A likely tale. <laughs> You'll have to do better than that. 1900 was divisible by 100, but not by 400. So it was only a common year. Make this simple test today, as thousands of others have done. Divide a year by four. It goes in evenly? Right. Now divide it by 100, and that goes in evenly too? Right. Now divide it by 400. Will that go in evenly? If it will not, repeat not. Then do not accept this year as a leap year. It is only a common year. Avoid disappointment. Make this simple test Today. This gap of eight years between 1896 and 1904, because 1900 doesn't qualify as a leap year, is a major adjustment made to help us approach correctness once in a century, to help, because the calendar is still not right. I... Don't understand. The calendar. It's not right. My, my little calendar that I got on New Year's Day and that I've been relying A fallacy. on. Well, what about my watch that shows the date of the day? Worse. But it's guaranteed to tell the time underwater. They're both based on an assumption that the calendar year is six hours short of the sun year. It isn't. Oh, oh, it's five hours, 48 minutes, and about, only about, mind you, about 46 seconds short. The calendar's a fiction. It's a cruel, heartless fraud. Heartless! Oh, I knew it all along. You did? Yes, and I know how to set it right, too. Well, this is going to be interesting. Now, look here. Each year is four hours, 48 minutes and 46 seconds short. That works out at each day being 57.05 seconds short and each hour being 2.30 seconds short. You're only saying that to frighten us. I don't believe it. Oh, my dear girl, you don't imagine I came here to make statements without proof. I worked it out myself, personally. Well, all right, we'll accept it. I won't. I won't accept anything. We'll say that each hour is 2.30 seconds short. But how are you going to get it right, other than by leap years? Ah, by getting at the clockwork. You're certainly not going to get at my watch. If the government accepts my proposal, your watch will be got at by law, and all the clocks as well. You won't be consulted. Don't listen to him. It wouldn't be allowed. Well, it does seem rather... Either watches will be regulated compulsorily, so that the hands take 2.30 seconds more to get from hour to hour, or the dials will be stretched, so that the space between the figures will be 2.30 seconds more. But what's the point? of all this. So that we'll absorb the error as we go instead of slipping a silly great day into February every four years. That's interfering with the liberty of the individual and what's more, it's impossible. It is not impossible. I can demonstrate it and you owe me to let me prove it possible. Well, what on earth can I do? I don't wear a watch. I'll use you instead. Use me? Oh, well, it's only a, only a mental exercise. Just something in the mind. How can I prove it to you. Well, first, by going into my laboratory. Hmm, you haven't got one. I have. In the mind. Here's the door. There's my laboratory. Go in. Aunt, uh, Aunt, Aunt 
Aren't you all coming with me? In a moment. <laughs> Dr. Nemo. <laughs> Look after this lady, please. <laughs> yes. Yes, I've done all this before. Stretched a dial so that each hour was 2.30 seconds longer. I just took an ordinary dial, slipped it into the impractic jaw of my calidifactor. Oh, it's a second-hand one, but it works quite well. And bored the centre out of the dial. That left me with the outer circle, the ring, with the hours marked on it. I straightened this out. You can't straighten out a circle. Of course you can. Oh, I can, and I did. <laughs> I applied twice pi to its radius, and that gave me the length of the circumference. I set this up on the Kalida factor. Well, actually, it belonged to my aunt. <laughs> <laughs> I think our subject is ready for us. Come along. After you. Splendid. Now, you see that the lady has taken the place of a dial that has been straightened out for the purpose of, <laughs> shall we say, extension. But she's on a rack. The calidifactor, please. Uh, this is how we'll bring the problem of dial extension home to her. Oh, uh, forgive me, please. <laughs> Dr. Nemo, my assistant. Oh, how do you do, Dr. Butter? Ah, yes, a wreck, of course, essentially. Uh, she represents a circular watch dial that has been straightened out by Dr. Nemo. He took her radius. It's an insult. She took my whole diameter. He applied to it pi... Uh, 3.14159, uh, twice, of course. And so we have the length of the dial she represents. In the mind, of course. Are you all right? Now, uh, this is what will happen to the dial of a watch or clock when we apply tension to make each hour 2.30 seconds longer. Attention, please, Dr. Nemo. <laughs> I said tension, Dr. Nemo, not torsion. Twist her back again. Oh, he's getting a little beyond it, but a brilliant theoretician, of course. I say, are you really all right? And switch off! <sighs> mm, we'll just see if you're taut enough before we start the fine adjustment. Just a little pizzicato. Beautifully taught. Take your hands off me. As the dial said to the clockwork. Oh, <laughs> that's rather good, isn't it? Take your hands off me. As the dial said to the clockwork. <laughs> oh, I must remember that. Isn't, uh, isn't this a bit unusual? Oh, it's only in the mind. Now then, Dr. Nemo. Stretch. <laughs> <laughs> Just point three oh of a second more. Stretch. <laughs> I don't want 
want you to tell everything. I just want you to tell the correct time. Stretch! <laughs> back again. I'm afraid there's no give or elasticity in people these days. I suppose it's the diet. Still, it was only in the mind. In the mind? I've just been torn in two. You look remarkably well put together to me. Well, I, I suppose it just happens that I am not in two halves, thanks to your abominable machine-breaking. Yes, but you see what I mean. Uh, well, <clears throat> Uh, that's how the dials will be stretched, so that 2.30 seconds will be added to every hour all the time, instead of disregarding the error for three years and then lumping in a whole day in the fourth. Yes, but you haven't based your 2.30 seconds on exact figures. Remember, I said five hours, 48 minutes, and about 46 seconds. Only about... Oh, hair-splitting. I was only demonstrating the principle... For that matter, 2.30 seconds isn't exact either. It's 2.30700083. And then it all begins to recur. 2 decimals recur in your home? Remember, recurring decimals under the Health Act is a notifiable disease. If you have recurring decimals, consult the nearest police station... Immediately. What you've all got to remember is that time itself isn't right. Oh, oh no, really? No, the Russians, the Russians say it's about 30 seconds out. Which way? Mm, I'm afraid I don't know. Oh, I, I forgot to ask. Oh, really? I quite agree. Please ring for a taxi. I'm late for lunch. Oh, but don't go yet. I haven't got on to the colliptic cycle yet. You can keep your bicycle. Get me a taxi. But I was going to tell you all about the canicular period. It's really thrilling. Yes, well, you can keep it too. We've got nowhere, simply nowhere. That's because I haven't explained the metonic cycle yet. And that's the most frightening thing of all, the bisextile fictional year. What? Lady and gentlemen. Oh, oh, Give me a taxi while you are oh, out. Lady and gentlemen, I, I'm only waiting to hear myself on the radio. Could any years tell me the right time? At the third stroke, it will be ten, thirty, and ten seconds. Au troisième stop, il était exactement zero heure, sept minutes, quarante-cinq secondes. And when you hear the time signal for 11 o'clock Eastern Standard Time, gentlemen, it will be exactly 11 o'clock. And that was why 1964 was a leap year. <laughs> 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 that new approach to the bisextile problem was a feature by Radio Erum, the Irish Radio and Television Service. Produced by Frank O'Dwyer with members of the Radio Erum players, written by Norris Davidson, the singer was Brandon O'Doyle.